0: This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Uh, So there I was. It was my first time in Alabama. And I had lived in Alabama for the last five or six years. So we just moved over here three months ago. But I was around 22, 23 years old. And it was my first time in Alabama. So much had happened. I had just agreed to take a position there in Alabama doing Kai Alpha, the same thing, college ministry. Uh, I took a three-year position at the time. And my friend Craig, who was also my boss, said it would be a great idea for us to head to Alabama early and spend a week there, kind of like a a vision trip. This is where you're gonna live, this is where you're gonna work. Uh, And it was a great chance to meet pastors. It was a great chance to work. And Craig also bought a house there for his wife and kids. But it was a bit of a fixer-upper. You know, all of you guys have probably had a few fixer-uppers. You're tearing down walls, you're removing insulation. It was tough, tough work. And while we stayed there, though, we we couldn't sleep in, like, the insulation-ridden house. We had to go somewhere else. So this beautiful couple named Sunny and Linda Guy invited us to be at their home. There were a couple well into their 60s with grown men and grown women as their children with grandbabies, and there... At their home, I'll never forget three things. First, it was my first time trying raw cane syrup. We had biscuits, Alabama biscuits in the morning with eggs and sausage. Good night. I'm a Mexican. I never had anything like that. Have you, you guys you ever tasted raw cane syrup? Anyone? I got like three hands. Man, isn't it good? I will put it on my breakfast for a week, if you let me. It is so good. And then the second thing I'll never forget was she made me pina colada cake. Oh my gosh, I had a slice, and then another slice, and then another slice. And then I demanded she write down the recipe so I could take it home. It was so good. It's actually my favorite cake. I have my wife. I ask my wife to make it for me every year on my birthday. And then thirdly, the last thing I will never forget is I came downstairs one morning to see that Linda had neatly and nicely washed my work clothes from the day before and folded them neatly on her living room couch. But the problem was is that my underwear was on the top. I was so embarrassed. I'm like, you can't let these bad boys be out here like this. She's like, I have two grown boys. With grandbabies of my own, I'm not scared away by men's underwear, but I got a little red behind the ear when she offered me to buy me more underwear because they were holy undergarments. But Sonny, and especially Linda, they're kind of the prompt I have for what I want to talk today. I'm going to talk to you about kindness. Kindness. Have any of you ever met a Sonny and a Linda in your lifetime? you walk into their presence and it's just like the kindness of God exuding from their person and you feel warm and you feel welcome and that's what God has god has that quality warm and welcome let's see here oh yes i do want to say this i also know that kindness isn't something strange to any of you after my wife and i have moved here 3 months ago we have been showered and kindness from so many of you guys. We have felt firsthand the warm touch of God's kindness speaking through you and working through you. And so I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much for being so kind to my little family and I. But let's start thinking about kindness. What does the world say kindness is? Let's go to Google where all of life's answers can be found. Merriam-Webster Webster, uh, has a bunch of synonyms for kindness. It didn't really have like a definition. It just had a bunch of words. And so they were such as sympathetic, helpful, forbearing. That's an old word. You hear, everyone know what forbearing means? It might just mean like patient, restrained, long-suffering, kind of like you're dealing with a bunch of problems the way my wife is with me, forbearing. Gentle and affectionate. These are all synonyms around the word kindness, kindness. The Oxford Dictionary defines it as the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. Friendly, generous, and considerate. Wow. Wouldn't you want everyone around you to think of you as kind? If everyone just thought, Cheryl, I have no idea there's a Cheryl in here. Cheryl, she is the most kind person I have ever met. She's friendly, she's warm, she's affectionate, she's sympathetic, she's helpful. Yes, I want to be kind. Wouldn't it be that nice? But let's go to the Bible and let's see what we have and ideas from the Bible about what kindness is. It's similar, but different. I'm gonna go through three, not too long, but the last one's a little long, quotations, passages of scripture. Um, I really wanted to get the idea of how did some of the New Testament authors think about kindness? Because a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I can plug and chug my ideas of what I think words mean into the Bible and then assume that that's exactly what it's always meant, right? So sometimes when we we read the Bible, it's kind of like going into a plane where we travel 2,000 miles away but we also travel 2,000 years into the past. It's a transcultural experience. It's, it's really wild. And so I want to think, what did the New Testament authors think? Small note, you're going to notice something. Every single passage of scripture that I quote today, kindness is always used in contrast. As if to say, when they mention kindness, they are saying, you know what that is, but this is who we are now. You know what that is, but you know who we are now. And that contrast really brings out the weight of what kindness is to the New Testament authors. So we're going to start in Galatians. Start in Galatians. This passage of Scripture is to me totally familiar to so many of you. If you've been in church for more than six months, um, it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Everyone remember that passage? I don't know if they already put it on the slides, but who, everyone here could probably like quote the list to me. Or are they, love? You got it. All right. Man, gold stars all around. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The way that the author brought this up is he talks about living in the spirit and then living in the flesh. The contrast, living in the flesh basically means giving in to your selfish desires and saying yes to everything you know that God wants you to say no to, right? Now, living in the spirit by complete contrast isn't thinking about what you can't do, but thinking about Jesus and who he is and what he's like, saying, oh, Jesus is like that? I want to be like that too. So Jesus is loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, right? And what a list. I mean, this is a powerhouse. Does everyone around you in your community, at your job, think of you as loving, as joyful, as peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, and self-controlled? Man, Lord, help me. To the author of Galatians being Paul, the presence of kindness in a person was actually the proof of the Holy Spirit's working in their lives. As if to say, there's that kind person who's no longer unkind, who's no longer crude, and mean, and sexually immoral. The presence of God is working in their life and working through their life. Wow, the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person. Thank you, Jesus. Turning from Galatians to Ephesians, know that Ephesians is a very different book than Galatians. Ephesians has been known in theological terms to be a very ecclesiastical-focused book. What does that mean? We learn a lot from the book of Ephesians on what the church is supposed to do and how the church is supposed to view itself. How do we view ourselves as a church in kind of like a collective way, and how should we act in this broken world that we live in? right? It's the ecclesiastical book. And so Paul, again working in contrast, says something a little bit like this. It's not the quotation, it's not the quote that we have on the screen. It says something a little bit like this. He says, you know how non-believers are. They are calloused and hard-hearted. They love to give themselves up to everything that is rotten and wicked. But that isn't the way that you learned to be like Jesus. You were taught to put off your old self and to put on your new self. You're no longer to steal, lie, wallow in your hatred, or let bitterness take root in your hearts, but you're to be like the God who created you. You're to build people up. You're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. I didn't have it on the screen, but the thing I wanted you guys to focus on is that in that passage of scripture, to Paul, when you're kind, you're being like God the Father. Whereas in Galatians, we see that the presence of kindness is actually the working of the Holy Spirit. Now we see that this is an attribute of God the Father, your Creator, who seemed to have put this in you, or the capacity of kindness to be in you, as if. Just when the Holy Spirit could start working, that's how you were always meant to be. You were meant to be kind, like your father is. Wow. What a joy. Therefore, in Paul's mind, real kindness has nothing to do with the world because it has everything to do with the kingdom of heaven. And then lastly, this is the bigger quote of scripture. We're gonna go to Colossians. Paul takes a nearly identical line of thinking, as if to say the same thing, repetition. Repetition is usually the price of knowledge. You know, you get to practice something over and over again. And it's as if Paul was trying to work this attribute in us as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, the attribute of kindness. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, and we're going to quote this one. It's a bit long, but I want you to just let it to sit and settle in your heart. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. Putting these passages together, we find that kindness is a work of the Holy Spirit, an attribute of God the Father, and a quality of character of Jesus Christ. Kindness is seen in all three members of the Godhead. And therefore, it's immensely important to you and I. Wow, and something I'm, I'm, I think you guys are realizing, I hope you guys are getting the impression of, is that kindness, in a way, it's, it's not normal. It's otherworldly. It's heavenly. I have found, when I think about kindness and I measure my own life against the ideas of kindness in the Bible, that far from being validated in my life, I find that kindness breaks me. It challenges my every thought. It challenges my every word. It challenges my every action. Am I really being kind? Kindness to the world always has a selfish motive behind it. What am I going to get out of it? Right? I'm only being kind to you for a moment so you can be kind to me later on. It's a lot like flattery. You give something, then you expect something to come back to you. But that's not how kindness is with God. He's so unselfish. And graceful with it. Kindness is a lot like love in the sense that it's always being inconvenienced for the sake of those he cares about. And kindness is a lot like grace because it doesn't matter upon the character of the receiver, but the character of the giver, the kindness of our God. It breaks me. And I think it challenges us. Could you really do what Jesus did? And I want you to think about this for just a second. Jesus, as we all know, he lived for around 33 years, 33 and a half. 30 of those years, he was a woodworker, slaving away on building tables. And then for three and a half years, he was a wonder worker, going around to the north and to the south of Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and Samaria. For three and a half years, he did miracle after miracle after miracle. Hundreds, possibly thousands upon thousands of people were healed in his ministry. The mute could speak again. The deaf could hear again. The lame could walk again. People would go around speaking his praises to where he would come to a place secretly, he thought. I'm going to come here. I'm just going to be a little quiet. No one's even know I'm here in this new place I'm visiting. Word would come out. And then... Thousands would flock from miles and miles around him come just to be around him, hoping to get something from him. Thousands were healed. He fed 5,000 men. Just a couple of loaves and some fish. And then, not to make it a single performance, he ends up doing it again for 4,000 men. And we're not counting their families. That is crazy. Wow. There was one time a woman walked up. Jesus wasn't even looking her way. She walked up, made her way through a crowd, and just touched his clothes and was instantly healed of a disease she had for over 12 years. Amazing miracles. In the book of John, at the very end of his book, because sometimes we have this impression when we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all, like, this is all Jesus ever did. Those were selections. Just small stories of what happened in his life. John wrote at the end of his book, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Wow. Amazing. Our God's amazing. But now, let me ask you another question. How many people chose to follow Jesus immediately after he died. How many people could brave the sneers of those who said, he saved others, but himself he could not save? The beginning of Acts tells us just about 120 people. 120 people? Okay, if you were healed of being lame, wouldn't you want to follow Jesus? Jesus? Wouldn't you at least want to support the man who helped do that for you? But only 120 people. My question to you is, why? Why, Jesus, did you heal so many people knowing that they wouldn't even reciprocate any of your love? They wouldn't follow you when you needed them. They wouldn't be around you. All his disciples, maybe minus one, deserted him at his cross. Why, God? I submit to you it's the kindness of our God, the kindness of Jesus, the unselfishness of Jesus. When I compare my life to him, it breaks me, the kindness of my God. When I still have in my mind, in my heart, I fight bitterness and anger and malice against those who I think have wronged me in a way that's unforgivable. I look at Jesus' life and I see his kindness. As Jesus was dying on the cross, beaten, mocked, slowly suffocating and bleeding out, he cried out, God, forgive them. They know not what they do. Behold the kindness of our God. And so my question to you today, is how has Jesus been kind to you in your life? How has he been kind to you? I kind of laugh a few of the older people in the crowd are immediately shaking their heads because we've had time to realize that we've needed his help. We needed his help and we've needed his kindness and that we don't deserve what we've gotten from him. He's been so gracious to us. He's been so loving to us. As the band comes back up, or if it wants to play want or some play one song, there was this old story of a king. He was parading in his town, his royal caravan, all of his riches and splendor. And he looked towards his right, and he saw a beggar. He stopped the caravan. Leaning over and stooping towards the beggar, he put three gold coins into the beggar's bowl. He got back up. He ordered the caravan to continue. His royal advisor was right next to him, and he asked the king a question. Why did you put three gold coins into the beggar's bowl when three bronze coins would have sufficed? The king looked at his advisor and said, three bronze coins would have been enough for the beggar's need, but they wouldn't have satisfied my generosity. And that is exactly what the kindness of God is. That's exactly what it's like. So many of us, we've just asked for three bronze coins. Lord, just help me be safe. Help me be secure. Help my my kid be healthy. But in return, he gives you his Holy Spirit. In return, he invites you into intimacy with him. In return, he offers you relationship and an eternity with him. In return, we know that one day we're going to see him coming again and be reunited with all the saints. In return, he gives us three gold coins. Not because we deserve it, because that's what he's like. He's kind. And he is good. And so... As I leave this this time together, I just wanted us to spend some time as the band is playing and they'll sing, we can sing along, but I just wanted you to think about the kindness God has shown you over the years. Let those thoughts like waves wash over you. And if at all possible, be grateful for it. I grew up a very poor young man. My family used to eat out of a dumpster in order to survive. And my dad would say, how do you repay a man who gives you a meal when he's hungry, when the other man doesn't need anything in return? The poor man could work day after day after day after day and give meal after meal after meal back as a thank you. But when you're really in need and someone gives it to you, how do you weigh that? How do you weigh the need? The meal was one thing, but to give it when you need it. All of us have needed God's kindness. God's kindness. And how do we respond to his kindness? Thank you probably will do. Because other than that, we can't offer him anything than just a thank you, a thank you, God. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to say thank you for your kindness that you've given me. Thank you for the kindness you've shown my family. And thank you for the kindness you've shown everyone in this room how you've blessed them and kept them, how you've provided for them and protected them, how you've watched over them and how you've given yourself to them. You, Jesus, are the image of kindness in the Bible and you've given yourself for us. Thank you, God. Thank you for your kindness. And Lord, I ask that you would help us be kind like you are and treat others with the dignity and the respect that you have given us. Help us be kind for every curse spoken against us, Lord, may we bless others, Lord Jesus. For people who try to steal from us, Lord God, may we just give away whatever they need, Lord Jesus. Help us be kind to those who don't deserve it because we know that we haven't deserved your kindness. We just haven't deserved you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.MosaicChurchTLH.com.